think we might be experiencing technical difficulties here. I'm not sure if I'm on air or not. I cannot hear Sharon. All right, I am getting confirmation there is no sound whatsoever. So, Okay, oh, I Jay, I can Shannon. hear you. Can you hear me? Yep, I do hear you now. So uh, apparently got that okay. fixed. Okay, <laughs> we apparently got that fixed. I had to hang up and call back into the show, so I do apologize for that. Uh, I was giving everybody kind of an update of what to expect here tonight. Uh, during this first half hour, we were scheduled to have Brett Holmes online with us uh, to chat about his race at Five Flags Speedway with the ARCA East. And unfortunately, when they canceled that race, uh, then Brett Holmes called in, or his people called in and canceled his appearance for tonight. But uh, we have agreed to reschedule his appearance when Five Flags Speedway reschedules that race. Uh, So stay tuned for Brett Holmes coming back uh, on Fan for Racing Radio when that happens. Jay and I will spend the rest of this first half hour doing an overview of what else is happening in the Arca Menard series, the Arca East and the West. At 9 o'clock, we get into the Gander Outdoor Truck Series uh, preview at Atlanta. At 9.20, our preview covers the Xfinity Series at Atlanta, and at 9.40, we cover the Cup Series at Atlanta. 10 o'clock, of course, is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Oh, my goodness, what will we talk about, Jay? Well, maybe we'll have to talk about what caused the technical difficulty here. I don't know if it's the same thing or not. (laughs) I hope not. I certainly hope not. Uh, but uh, I'm sure we'll find something to talk about during that half hour, and uh, I do hope that fans will tune in uh, to hear what we have to say. Now, I just want to remind fans, we do have a chat room uh, here at uh, fanforacing.com. If you want to interact with us throughout the show, uh, just go to fanforacing.com. You'll see the chat room right there on our front page. Mike O is already there, so... uh, uh, go ahead and post your thoughts about uh, what we're talking about, and also if you have any any um, <laughs> if you have any uh, uh, hot topics you want to make sure that we discuss tonight, uh, you can post that information there as well. So Jay, uh, very unfortunate that uh, the race was canceled for this weekend at Five Like Speedway. I know you were looking forward to being there representing Fan for Racing Blog and Radio. Um, but uh, hopefully they will be rescheduling the race and we can work something else out down the road. I hope so. I know they haven't had a, had enough time to do a reschedule yet, but they are looking at it. Uh, I know I saw that in their post. Uh, and I know we're going to get into this in hot topics. Obviously, that is what will be the primary right. hot topic for the day. Uh, going to have to deal with it. That's all I can say at this point. Um, but hopefully oh, when they do reschedule, Hopefully when they do reschedule it, I will be available. Uh, I love that facility. I was down there last year for the Arkham Menard Series. There's an article out on Fan for Racing you can check out talking about that as well as the, uh, the Arkham Menards East Series that was coming and a little bit more about Five Flags Speedway and the history of it there with the uh, Snowball Derby. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. So do check that out. We've actually, in addition to the radio show tonight, where we're previewing the race there, or we're intending to preview the race there, we also put out an article on Brett Holmes uh, today uh, kind of explaining he does have a pro 
late model series championship at Five Flags Speedway. He's very familiar with the track, and I've got a feeling he had that one circled on his calendar as a potential win for him and his team. So, uh, again, we'll look forward to having him on uh, down the road here. But let's talk about the Arkham Menard series uh the the East race that was supposed to take place tonight was supposed to be the second Canon Pro Series East event of the season uh, after they had the uh, Lucas Oil uh, 200 at Daytona International Speedway, which was a regular part of their season. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the Arkham Menard Series. The East had their season opener at New Smyrna Speedway, and this was supposed to be the second of their events at Five, five Flag Speedway, the Pensacola 200. Uh, now, uh, winning at New Smyrna Speedway was Sam Mayer, who has been very strong in this series, and uh, he's pretty much made it known if anybody's going to win this season, they're going to have to go through him and his GMS Racing number 21. Most certainly. And I know I was really looking forward to winning both the East and the West opener. I know he participated in the showdown event, had some engine problems. Um, so was really looking forward to seeing him race as well as getting to talk to him, just see the rebound that team would make coming off of that issue that they had in the showdown. I know they plan on, I believe, running all 10 of the showdown events. So that's another point championship they're going after. But just to see the recovery of that team and their thought process coming into Five Flags. Yes, indeed. Uh, so th- the second place finisher at New Smyrna was Derek Griffith, Griffin. And I've got to say, they've already announced, uh, as of today, in fact, that he, be, he will be racing the full-time schedule, uh, Derek Griffith, with Chad Bryant racing this season. So uh, he's a rookie uh, that's, I think, making it clear that he wants to run for that championship in this series. And it'll certainly be interesting. I did not see that that was a full-time gig. I knew he was scheduled in the car there at Five Flags Speedway and that he was going to get several opportunities. So glad to hear that that is a full-time deal uh, for a young kid like that and going after Rookie of the Year and possibly the championship. Although, again, we talked about Sam Mayer coming out the gate so strong. I think at this point you're going to have to uh, really, really focus on him um, until he shows otherwise. Yes, I would definitely agree. Uh, I'm looking in my inbox here now for that news um, because I did see that earlier today. I can't seem to put my hands on it right this minute, but I'll continue to look for that. Um but uh, I definitely think this is going to be fun. Now, uh, another interesting entry on this uh, list, and I hope he continues to be on this entry list when they do race at Five Flags Speedway, was Bubba Pollard. He's going to be racing with DGR Crossley for this event. That is one that I certainly do hope, like you said, the rescheduled date that that's available. To go along with that, if you're not familiar with the pro late model series that these guys run. Uh, Steven Nassi was another one that was entered into. Those two have history on the track. So I was really looking forward to that. Not that I want to see anything uh, necessarily happen, but knowing the history there and the uh, little bit of tension, both obviously some great late model drivers, um, but to see two go at it toe-to-toe like that was going to be interesting. 
Yes, definitely something for fans to look forward to uh, in that group. And, and if he does decide to race at uh, Five Flag Speedway for that rescheduled event, I hope that is the case. Um, so a lot to look forward to there. Uh, let's see. Uh, I want to kind of go over the rest of the list here because there's some really talented drivers here. Ty Gibbs uh, finishing third at New Smyrna. He is racing as part of that uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota Development Group, and uh, he's going to be, I think, a very strong contender as well. In fact, those three drivers may end up being the top three, but I think some other drivers are going to have something to say about it if they – if they have a chance. Well, and, and, that, and that's another one, again, really was looking forward to. I know you had reached out to the uh, to the PR team, um, hoping to get to talk with, uh, as far as Ty Gibbs. I know he doesn't have the, as many wins as he would like, as no driver does, but he has a tendency to finish in the top three. You mentioned three there. He is generally in those top three. Uh, so, mm-hmm. again, sooner rather than later, he's going to start being the one in victory lane more often than not. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, also, uh, some other notables here is Rev Racing with Nick Sanchez. Uh, Nick finished uh, in fourth place. His teammate Chase Cabre, who uh, was a contender last year in this series, uh, finished uh, ninth in this particular race. But I think he could be a, con- a strong contender this year as well. You know he's going to be, and, and Rep Racing has uh, done such a great job with building their program there in the Arkham and Ards East. As you mentioned, Chase Cabre, a second runner-up to Sam Mayer last year. I'm sure looking to be the one to uh, topple him off this year. Didn't have the best of starts with a ninth-place finish, but that by no means puts him out of it. And then you got Nick Sanchez. And one of the things that and, uh, people need to look into this, I know we've talked about it over the past two year, two to three years, that Red Racing does tryouts for their rides every year. And Chase Cabre mm-hmm. continues to earn his ride. He's not just being given that ride. He continues to go up in this driver challenge. I don't know if, I don't remember if they have a name for it, but combine. they have to compete for it. There we go, combine. That they have to compete for that ride. And he has to, even after finishing second in points last year, go in and compete for that ride again this year. So, Obviously, a talent keeps earning that spot and is going to keep uh, keep doing so, I think, because he is a heck of a driver. Yeah, absolutely. Now, some of Bill McAnally Racing's uh, teams did come east to race in that new Smyrna race. Uh, I think they were planning to do that uh, this weekend as well at Five Flags, so I look for them to be racing both in the east and the west throughout the year. Uh, his teams include drivers, uh uh, drivers like uh, Jesse Love in the number 19, also Gio Selvi in the number 16, uh, Holly Holland uh, from the number 50, and Gracie Trotter in the number 99. Uh, if you haven't heard our interview with Bill McAnally Racing, uh, Bill McAnally, uh, on Monday night, uh, go back and listen to that because he does go over each of those drivers and uh, uh, his thoughts about each of those drivers for this season and, and how they came on board with Bill McAnally for the season. He's kind of got a whole new slate of drivers this year. He does, and that's one of the things we really really like about what he does in the Arkham Menards uh, West Series 
as well as then doing some participation in the East and now with the uh, Truck Series team uh, partnering up and bringing Derek Krause to the Truck Series. But that is still where his focus is, is that developmental. Um, I think you had mentioned it both with them and uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name Bricotti um, uh, Sunrise team as well. Racing. The, yep. Um, that normally you only see drivers there for a year or two, and that is by design. That is to help them step and move up the chain, up the ladder in their developmental program and bring these new drivers in and give them the opportunity. So uh, the, the West wouldn't be what it is without owners like Bill McAnally. And Bob Brunkati. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said there. Bob Brunkati is the driver uh, the, I'm sorry, the team owner who really makes that kind of a strict rule. But I have to tell you, he kind of broke that rule this season because uh, you've got Trevor Huddleston, who is in his third year with Bob Brunkati this year in the West. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he's able to do. I see him as a contender in the West, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Uh, another driver and an entry for Ben Kennedy Racing is Daniel Dye in that number 43. Uh, he's looking uh, he was looking to race this weekend as well. Uh, he kind of had a crash in the first race of the season, so I know he was looking for a rebound uh, at uh, Five Flags this week. And that is one that, again, was really looking forward to get to talk to, even if I couldn't uh, write about, at least get to talk to a no, because that is one that I'm unfamiliar with um, going into this season, but we're going to learn about him throughout the season, so hopefully get another opportunity you know he is the rookie, and like you said, had a little bit of a rough outing at New Smyrna to see how they recover. And to see him with uh, Ben Kennedy racing, I, I really like that, that Ben Kennedy, another one that giving back to the sport at this level to get guys started. And I say guys, I should say drivers. Drivers, that's right. Uh, yeah, it is great to see him. Uh, I, I look for Ben Kennedy Racing to be kind of part of this uh, Canon Pro Series East all season long. Uh, we may see them do uh, a couple of races out there in the West, as well as for the Arkham Menard Series with the Arca Sioux Chief Showdown. Uh, so uh, I know the the next race for this Canon Pro Series East is going to be the Zombie Auto 150 at Bristol Motor Speedway, and that should be taking place on April the 4th. So, uh, you know, fans can circle that on their calendars. Uh, again, we don't quite know yet when the Five Flag Speedway will be rescheduled to, so fans will need to uh, stay tuned for that information as well. So um, let's move on to the Canon Pro Series West since we kind of got into that a little bit. Uh, a lot of really good teams there. Uh, the point that uh, we've been making all season long so far is that Sam Mayer not only won the East opener, he also won the West opener in the Star Nursery 150 at the Bull Ring at Las Vegas. So uh, he is racing with GMS Racing. That's a strong entry. The next race for them is the Enos 150 
uh, presented by Napa Auto Parts at Irwindale Speedway. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye out. Hopefully we won't have any more canceled races, uh, but uh, we'll just continue to give you the information as we know it at the time that we know it, and uh, we'll go ahead and assume that those races will take place. Yeah, at this point, and I know Mike, that's what he's uh, talking about on in the chat room, and we will get to in hot topics. Uh, I put in there, it's kind of a no-win situation. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a really good option at this point. We don't know how long it's going to last. So we'll have to wait and see, move forward as if everything is going to go as planned. But I think that West Series race at Irwindale um, could really set the stage for that points championship. I know at Phoenix there was a lot of combination or East drivers there as well as the West gets into their separate schedule. Mm-hmm. And I see that thin out a little bit at the top maybe and see which drivers are going to are full-time for the season with the West and going to be the true contenders. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, um, one of the youngest drivers in the series, Jesse Love, a rookie, finished second at the Bull Ring in Las Vegas. Uh, and he is an up-and-coming driver that I think a lot of fans will want to keep their eye on. Uh, I know Bill McAnally was impressed with his talent, and uh, finishing second to Sam Mayer in this series is is indeed pretty impressive. Uh, behind him was one of those Sunrise Ford cars, uh, the number nine of uh, Glenn Perkins, part of that uh, Bob Brunkati Sunrise Ford group. And that's where, like I said, I think you're going to see that kind of fan out. It would definitely be interesting to watch uh, Jesse Love as a rookie in the series. I know Blaine Perkins isn't a rookie per se, has a lot of experience out on these West Coast uh, tracks. So if he's able to do that ride full time, I think you're going to see him at the top of that list at coming into the season. Yes, indeed, he's going to be competing there for sure. Uh, another Bob, I mean, sorry, another Bill McAnally racing driver and rookie, Gracie Trotter, uh, finished in that number 99 car in fourth place. Uh, I think that's pretty impressive for her, and uh, I think we're going to see some great things from her all season long. We know we're going to with the McAnally teams, and again, I just love this opportunity that that's being given to some of these young up-and-coming drivers to establish their name and get looked at. And I know we talked about how big Phoenix was being in conjunction with the Xfinity and Cup Series races that some of these other team owners get a chance to see them in action and, and talk to them and understand who they are as a driver as they come up through the ranks. Uh, be keeping, they'll be keeping their eye on them as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, I do want to go over the schedule here for the Canon West. Uh, I want to get into the Arkham Menard series before we run out of time because we've also got the Sioux Chief Chosen Showdown uh, to talk about. But the next race, as we mentioned earlier, is March 28th at Irwindale Speedway. Uh, stay tuned and keep your eye as to whether or not that event is going to continue to take place. We certainly hope that it does uh, so that uh, – uh, we have more to talk about uh, as the season progresses here. Okay, let's move on to the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, they had their season opener at Daytona International Speedway. Uh, the second race for them was the Sioux Chief Showdown event, uh, the first of that series uh, that took place at Phoenix Raceway on March the 6th. 
Now, Michael Self won the first race out at Daytona, but it was uh, a different driver winning the last weekend at Phoenix, and that was from Bill Venturini Motorsports, uh, Chandler Smith in the number 20 car. So Michael Self having a great season so far, but uh, Chandler Smith is going after the Sioux Chief Showdown trophy. Uh, he When those 10 races, he's going to give him a run for his money. Well, and if you know his history, again, he gets limited starts based on his age, and that's what the Sioux Chief Showdown is designed for, is these drivers that can't compete in all of the races can still go after a championship. And we saw this last year with Chandler Smith getting those few starts in the short tracks and really putting on a show. I mean, he was almost a locked-in pick when it came to those tracks. So I know Phoenix is that in-between one-mile track, but you had to expect Chandler Smith to be there, and he most certainly was. Again, some of it came into play was a, a decision, a pitch strategy, but that's all part of racing. Mm-hmm, without a doubt. Michael Soft did finish second in the race at Phoenix, uh, so he was not a slouch in that race by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it was a, it's a one-two finish for Michael Self on the season, so uh, that's all good and well. Uh, in third place was one of the can, uh, Arca East drivers, and that's Ty Gibbs, uh, again finishing third in that number 18 car. And, again, it was a heck of a race out there at Phoenix. I don't think that they could have picked any better spot to do the initial ARCA or uh, Sioux Chief Showdown race, combining the three events. First time they've been that far west out at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, all around just a great event and I think a great setup for the entire ARCA series schedules between the east, the west, and the main series for the year. Absolutely. Now, uh, two other drivers uh, to watch, Tanner Gray from the east uh, in the number 17 car finished fourth. Zane Smith, uh, a west driver in the number 17W, uh, finished in the fifth place spot at uh, at Phoenix Raceway. So uh, this is good experience for a lot of these drivers. Uh, sometimes these drivers are so used to racing on the short tracks, a one-mile track like Phoenix is a big track for them. So it's great experience for all of these drivers to be able to have the chance to race on that track. And that is, you're right, that's looking at it from that other other side of it, not just the drivers that can't run on the big tracks, but like you mentioned, a lot of them are used to driving on even shorter tracks. So for this, then, that was a step up to a bigger track, and we saw several of them that stepped up and really performed. So that's great to see. And I think so much is building on this developmental series, the East and the West, into the Arkham Menard series, which is now paired under NASCAR as a whole. I love what they're doing. It's kind of going back to the grassroots racing as well. Uh, I think the sport is in a great direction as it moves forward with this. Yes, indeed. Now, next up on their schedule, April 19th, is the Kentuckiana Ford Dealers 200 at Salem Speedway. Uh, that is an Arkham Art Series event, but it is also a Sioux Chief Showdown race. So, again, we're going to have all three series coming together for that event. Salem Speedway, uh, for those who know the Arkham Menard Series here in the West, is a very storied track in the Arkham Menard Series, and uh, this is sure to be a huge uh, showdown event on the 19th. Again, another great selection. I really do, looking through the the schedule that they laid, NASCAR laid out with the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, to include a track like that, 
And I know for the East Series, they had to move down to Five Flags, another one that has so much history, to continue to build on that and not allow those, those tracks to get shuffled out in all of this. Yes, yes. Uh, and and uh, just fans, be sure to check out ArcaRacing.com. They do a great job of uh, presenting what's happening in the Arca Menard Series, the East, the West, as well as the Sioux Chief Showdown. And so uh, we, we try to uh, do some articles here and there about the Arca Menard Series as well. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I do have the article up for Brett Holmes. You know, the next track on the schedule uh, for Brett Holmes, because he's not racing a full-time schedule this year, is Talladega Super Speedway. That's a home track for him. So I think it's going to be exciting to see him uh, racing at that track as well. Well, seeing anybody race at Talladega is exciting, but you're right. That would be another home <laughs> track for him. I know he considers a five-flag speedway home track as he is a former pro late model champion there. But Talladega being in his home state, uh, certainly got to be a great homecoming for him. Yes, indeed. Okay, we are now at the top of the hour, and that means it's time for us to move on to our NASCAR uh, Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series race that is taking place at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, that race is the uh, Vet Ticks Camping World 200. It will take place Saturday, March the 14th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time for the green flag. Uh, the pre-race coverage will start at 1 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1, as well as the radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They will race a distance of 200.02 miles. That's 130 laps. And the first two stages will be 30 laps each, with the last stage ending on the last lap, uh, lap 130. Now, last year's winner at this race is... None other than Kyle Busch. Well, if he was entered, he won it, and I know that's the topic of discussion here as we get into the truck series for this weekend as well. But we're going to take a minute here to uh, highlight somebody in the Women's History Month, and that's Jennifer Jo Cobb. As part of the Women's History Month, uh, she's been competing in the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series for 13 years. She's uh, from Kansas City. She's not only been a driver for all these years, but also runs her own team with Jennifer Jo Cobb Racing. This weekend's attempt at Atlanta Motor Speedway will mark her 191st career start in the C Series. Cobb's best finish was in 2011 that came at Daytona International Speedway with a sixth place. Cobb has also made 31 starts in the Xfinity Series. So it's great to see, again, there are females out there making their name and establishing um, the female drivers in this sport. Yes, indeed. Uh, and, and we're seeing more and more coming up through the ranks as well. Now, TGI Bell is going to be behind the wheel this weekend for Young Motorsports. He signed, they signed TJ Bell to pilot the number 12 Chevrolet for the team in Atlanta this weekend. Bell has made 111 starts in his Gander uh, truck's career, and mostly recently he ran three races for Nice Motorsports last season in the number 38 Chevrolet. He does have a career-best finish of fifth at Auto Club Speedway in 2009. We should probably mention here as well, Jay, 
that NASCAR has come out and said, and I know this will be part of our hot topics tonight, that the Atlanta race will take place. However, uh, it will take place without fans in the stands. And all of that, again, is part of the coronavirus uh, uh, process to kind of curtail the spread of that virus uh, by not uh, giving fans uh, an opportunity for that close of social contact that could spread the disease much more quickly. So uh, NASCAR will run the race. You can still watch it on FS1, but uh, it's just not, you're not going to see fans in the stands. Well, and there's another issue going on there, not only with the virus, but Tennessee Strong. That's going to be represented by Clay Greenfield, who's going to pilot the number 68 Clay Greenfield Motorsports truck on Saturday. Saturday, <coughs> excuse me, honoring all those who suffered loss and devastation in Nashville, Tennessee, due to a recent tornado. The truck says hashtag Tennessee Strong on it, and Greenfield is advertising that you can donate by texting Restore the Dream to 41444. And I know there were several within the racing community. I know a couple myself uh, from the dirt track side that were affected by that, and our thoughts are still with them as they recover. Yes, indeed. So that's a very worthwhile cause, and uh, I'm glad to see Clay Greenfield uh, putting a spotlight on that. Now, the rookie panel update, you've got Zane Smith, who's out front very early. We're only two races into the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series season. But here's how the top three drivers in the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings are faring so far. GMS Racing Zane Smith stands on top of the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings with 58 points. Six in the Gander Truck Series driver points after one top ten finish in two starts so far this season. Two points behind Smith, of course, is Kyle Busch Motorsports' Christian Eckes. He's in second in the rookie points and eighth in the Truck Series driver standings. And he's seven points back from Eckes is McAnally Hilgerman Racing's Derek Krause in third place in the Snoko Rookie of the Year standings and 15th in the Series driver standings. Now, Smith and Krause are the first two drivers to win uh, Rookie of the Race Awards this year, with Smith opening very strong in the season with an 11th place finish at Daytona and a 6th place finish at Las Vegas. He's competed in 100% of the laps he's attempted and has earned an average finish of 8.5. Eckes has had a slow start to the season, uh, finishing 22nd at Daytona and 23rd at Las Vegas. The driver of the number 18 Toyota was competing hard with his owner and teammate during the race at Las Vegas, but ended up suffering from penalties after being involved in an incident late in the race. So Kraus, who has had mixed results this year, finished fourth at Daytona and 22nd at Las Vegas due to an incident on the third lap of the race, so he was unable to work his way back to the front of the field. Looking ahead to Atlanta, the only series rookie that has made a previous Gander Truck Series start at Atlanta is Spencer Davis, and he did that in 2018. He started fourth, he finished 13th, and the rest of the class will be making their series track debuts this weekend at Atlanta. Jay? Okay, Jay, are you still there? 
Okay, I'm not sure what's going on. Jay, are you here? Okay, can uh, I'm just asking the chat room again if they can hear me. Okay, they can hear me. Jay, I don't know what's happened to you. We're not hearing you. So I'm not sure what's going on, Jay. Okay, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, since you can hear me, I'm going to go ahead and move on here uh, with our uh, preview. It's points on points on points. Although the series is only two races into the season for the Gander RV and Truck Series, um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of bouncing back and forth here trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, Taking a look at the driver point standing shows us who has been on top of their game since the start of the season. That would include Hattori Racing Enterprises driver Austin Hill, who now leads the driver standings with 82 points. Nine markers up on second-place driver Johnny Sauter. Hill has one top five and two top tens in the first two races of the season, and he's led 11 laps. Veteran Thorsport racing driver Sauter is right in Hill's rearview mirror in second in the Gander Truck Series standings with 73 points. He also has one top five and two top tens on the year. Ben Rhodes sits in third in the series driver standings. He's 22 points back from the driver's uh, standings lead with one top five finish this season. Rhodes gained a massive 16 spots in the standings after Las Vegas and is now just 13 points behind second-place driver Sauter. Now, GMS Racing's Brett Moffat. Okay, GMS Racing Brett Moffat. Uh, the 2018 Series champion is in fourth in the Gander Truck Series driver standings after Las Vegas with 59 points, 23 points back from Austin Hill in the standings lead. Moffat's GMS Racing teammate Sheldon Creed rounds out the top five in the standings with two top ten performances in two races. He's accumulated 58 points this session season. He's 24 back, points back from Hill and just one point back from Brett Moffat. Looking ahead to Atlanta, Hill will have his work cut out for him to hold on to that standings lead as the top five in points. Uh, Rhodes has the best average finish at the 1.54-mile track with a 4.8, followed by Moffat with 5.3, Creed with 12.0, Sauter at 12.1, and Hill at 13.8. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch this race at Atlanta uh, as these guys are jockeying for their position in the point standings. So let me check and see if we've got Jay back. Okay. I'm going to see here. Jay, do we have you back? Yep, I am back. I guess we both got booted off that time. Well, I didn't get booted off that time. Only you did. Oh, mom, mom had messaged me and said it went totally out together, and uh, I waited until I heard you were back on, and I, I just called back in. Okay, Jay said he could hear me, but he couldn't hear you, so I'm not sure what happened there. Okay, so I just finished uh, doing the points on points on points, if you want to go to the next topic here. 
All right, for Nice Motorsports, we got Ryan Truex and Jeb Burton both running. Uh, Ryan Truex hasn't run a race yet in 2020 for any of the three series he competes in, but he will be back behind the wheel of a truck this weekend for Nice Motorsport. Now, he hasn't competed in the truck series since 2017, but has 10 <laughs> top fives, 19 top tens, and two poles to his name. He'll pilot to number 40 for the team. Now, Truex has made two starts at Atlanta prior, has had a best finish of 13th in 2017. Jeb Burton, also running for Nice Motorsports this week, it'll be in the number 38 truck. He has 55 starts in the series with one win coming in 2013, seven top fives, 21 top tens, and seven poles under his belt. His win came at Texas Motor Speedway in 2013, where he started third. Now, Burton has never made it to start at Atlanta Motor Speedway in this series, so a little bit of a good run here, hopefully, for Nice Motorsports. We saw what they could do last year with uh, Ross Chastain. Yes, uh, So, and they've got a really impressive lineup for the season, so I can't wait to see how they continue to do. Now, there's some drivers uh, that are going to enjoy being home and enjoying some home cooking in Georgia. There's no place like home for three drivers making a start in the truck series this weekend. Home's not too far away from the 1.54-mile Atlanta Motor Speedway. Austin Hill, uh, the driver of the number 16 for a Tory Racing Enterprises Toyota, is from Winston, Georgia. That's about one hour away from the Atlanta track. He's making his fifth start at his home track this Saturday. Last year, Hill started from the pole for the first time at the track. He also got his first top ten finish of his career at Atlanta, finishing seventh. Previous stats show that Atlanta hasn't always been Hill's best track, though, but his performances have continued to get better every year. Now, Hill is also the only full-time driver in the series with home ties to Georgia. But Chase Elliott will be running the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet in an effort to win the bounty against Kyle Busch in the Gander Truck Series. Elliott is from Dawsonville, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half away from the Atlanta track. In his only start at Atlanta in the series, he finished fifth after starting ninth. It's going to be Elliott's 13th career start in the series. Spencer Davis is also from Dawsonville. He's piloting the number 11 Spencer Davis Motorsports Toyota in Atlanta. Davis is making his 11th uh, career start in second at his home track. He started fourth in 2018, finishing 13th. He also has a career best finish of seventh. Corbin Forrester is also entered in the race in the number seven all-out motorsports Toyota this weekend. Forrester is another driver that calls Atlanta his home track. He's from Cedartown, Georgia, which is approximately two hours from the track. This is Forrester's fifth start at the track and 51st career start. His best finish was in 2018 when he started 21st at finishing in 16th place. Well, and Sharon mentioned it, a lot of the talk coming into the truck series, they actually were a, a hot topic for the two weeks they were off, but it has to do with beating Kyle Busch and winning that bounty. Now, it all started on Twitter when Kevin Harvick tweeted that any full-time NASCAR Cup Series driver who competes in the Xander RV and Outdoor Truck Series race beats Kyle Busch would win an additional $50,000. Marcus Lemonis, the CEO of Camping World and Gander RV and Outdoors, 
pushed it even further, raising the total to 100,000. Bush currently has four more truck races on his schedule, Atlanta Motor Speedway, Homestead Miami Speedway, Texas Motor Speedway, and Kansas Speedway. GMS announced that Georgia native Chase Elliott will drive the number 24 Chevrolet for the team that Sharon mentioned, making Atlanta the first where the bounty comes into play. If Elliott doesn't secure that win, Kyle Larson gets his shot, also in a GMS racing truck at Homestead Miami, and then Elliott will be back behind the number 24 again at Kansas. Uh, Billy Ballou and James Finch have come together, and they're going to run a truck entry for Eric Jones at Homestead Miami in hopes of winning the bounty. Jones is the only one of the three contenders who is a Gander Truck Series champion that coming in 2015. Now, if Bush is successful at holding off anyone taking the bounty in these four races, that money will be donated to the Bundle of Joy Foundation. As a note, any driver taking up the bounty doesn't actually have to win one of those races. They just have to finish ahead of Bush. If more than one Cup Series driver is competing against Bush in a single race, it'll be the highest finishing driver that gets the bounty, and there's not allowed to be any wrecking for the money either. So and take a look at some quick stats yeah. on these drivers. Uh, did you want me to go through these? Uh, I'm going to go every other one on this. We'll go every other one. All right. Well, I'll start with uh, Chase Elliott. I know that Sharon already covered some of that, but he has 12 starts to his name in the series with two wins, eight top fives, 10 top tens, and three poles. And he's led a total of 301 laps with an average start of 6.3 and a finish of 7.9. His first win came at Canadian Tire Park in 2013 in only a six-career start. And his second win was at Martinsville in 2017, coming from the pole. His first and only started at Atlanta Motor Speedway, also in 17, where he started ninth and finished fifth. He's never run a Gander Trucks race at Kansas, so that'll mark his series, Dave, series track debut there. Okay. Now, Kyle Larson's uh, NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series stats uh, are interesting as well. He has 13 starts in the series with two wins, seven top fives, and ten top tens, along with two poles. His first truck series win came at Rockingham Speedway in only his fifth start in the series. He later went on to win Eldora Dirt Derby, and that was in 2016 from seventh from the seventh place starting place. Uh, he's led 703 laps and has an average start of 7.3. His average finish is 8.5 in the Gander Truck Series. Now, Larson is making his fourth Gander Truck Series start at Homestead Miami Speedway. His first was in 2012 when he started on the front row, but it ended up finishing 27th due to an incident. He competed at Homestead again in 2014, starting on the pole and finishing runner-up. And his last start in the series was at Homestead in 2016. He started third and finished fourth. And I just want to mention here along with that, there is some question as to whether or not that race will be run in Homestead, Miami uh, this weekend, or not this weekend, but next weekend. Uh, So fans definitely need to stay tuned to see if that actually does take place. I think they were uh, under the same plan at this point anyway. That's obviously a possibility to change, but that they were going to run just without fan attendance and limited uh, personnel, uh, same as Atlanta. Uh, Yeah, I think the overriding thing there, Jay, was that the state 
was putting some parameters on events within the state. So that may override what NASCAR has already put out. Okay. Well, again, getting uh, more news as we go. Uh, Talk about the final (laughs) driver there going for that bony, and that's Eric Jones, who has the most experience in the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. Again, all three cup drivers of the three pursuing the bounty. He has 42 career starts from 2013 to 2018 with seven wins, 10 top fives, 35 top tens, and seven poles. Not to mention, yet again, he is the 2015 Truck Series champion. His first win was at Phoenix in 2013 and only his fifth career start. Most recent was in 2015, coming for Texas Motor Speedway. Career start and average is a 7.0. So those are some good numbers, but I think if we were to look at Kyle Busch's, they'd come up a little bit short, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Yes, and, and Michael is kind of confirming what I just said. It's currently announced Homestead race will run as scheduled without fans. However, it is subject to change if restrictions beyond the control of NASCAR happen. So that's that's uh, why I'm asking fans to kind of stay tuned there uh, to see what does happen in that particular case. Now we're at the uh, 920 time frame, so it's time for us to move on to the Xfinity series, uh, but I will say it's really good to see the trucks back on track. I always enjoy those guys racing, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what they do this weekend at Las Vegas. I'm at uh, Atlanta. I can't believe I said Las Vegas. <laughs> okay. well, I'll get excited no matter where, where we see them. <laughs> as long as we see them on track, right? There okay, we go. the NASCAR Xfinity <laughs> the NASCAR Xfinity Series uh, next race is the Echo Park 250 at Atlanta Motor Speedway on Saturday, March the 14th. Uh, the green flag should fall sometime around 4 p.m. Eastern time with pre-race coverage starting on FS1 at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio will offer radio coverage. They will be racing a distance of 251.02 miles. That's 163 laps. And the first two stages are 40 laps apiece. And, of course, the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 163. Last year's race winner in this series was Christopher Bell. I don't believe he's on the entry list for this weekend, so we're guaranteed a new race winner this weekend. Uh, we certainly will, but we'll talk a little bit about Christopher Bell here in a fun stat of the week. In seven of the last ten Xfinity Series races at Atlanta have been won by the driver who has led more than 100 laps, and that's 70%. And that's including 2019, Christopher Bell led 142 laps, Kevin Harvick led 141 in 18, 119 for Kyle Busch in 2016, Harvick did, was the uh, 2015 winner at 101 as well as 2014 and 13. 14 was 159 laps led, and 13 was 132. The other one on the list in 2011 was Carl Edwards leading 101 laps. The three drivers to lead less than 100 laps and win were Kyle Busch in 2017 with only 26 laps led, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in 2012 with 16 laps led, and Jamie McMurray in 2010 with 48 laps led. Okay, now here's the bubble playoff update. 
Brandon built motorsports driver Brandon Brown has jumped from 13th to 12th, the final playoff transfer spot in the Xfinity Series driver standings. He leapfrogged DGM's uh, GG. Let me try that again. DGM Racing's Alex LeBay. Brown sits fourth, four points ahead of LeBay, heading to Atlanta, followed by Josh Williams who is eight points down in 14th place, and Myatt Snyder, 12 points down in 15th place. Well, it's certainly going to be a bubble to watch throughout the year as those guys really uh, fight for those final playoff spots. Hopefully uh, maybe get a win and they'll move them up and lock them in. As we come to Atlanta, though, we're approaching a couple of milestones. Mike Harmon's Racing's Joe Nemechek is just two starts away from becoming the sixth different driver to make 450 or more NASCAR Xfinity Series starts. It's currently at 448, dating back to 1989. Another one that's reaching a milestone is Motorsports Business Management's driver, Chad Fincham, as he'll attempt to make his 75th NASCAR Xfinity Series start this weekend at Atlanta. Okay, now I'm going to kind of skip this next session. We'll put this on fanforacing.com. It's about getting to know Echo Park. Uh, Last week, Atlanta Motor Speedway announced that Echo Park Automotive is the proud sponsor of the upcoming Xfinity Series race this weekend. So look for more information on that at fanforacing.com. Now, Luke dated those stats. Those stats point to Chase Briscoe as the driver to beat in Atlanta. Uh, scrolling through the facts and figures in this week's Xfinity Series pre-race loop data packet, it's easy to see whose name is atop most of the key in most of the key stat categories heading into this weekend's Echo Park 250. It's uh, Chase uh, Stuart Hawes Racing's Chase Briscoe. Briscoe is right now second in the series driver standings, just three points behind Harrison Burton, and. Uh, in the standings lead after posting a win at Las Vegas. He also has two top fives and three top tens this year. The 25-year-old grabbed the checkered flag at the first 1.5-mile track, Las Vegas, on the Xfinity schedule earlier this season, and Loop Data says Briscoe could be the one to beat come this Saturday. He leads the series in driver rating at 112.9. He has an average running position of 5.953. Fastest laps run, 98. He's also second in laps led at 110 and fourth in laps in the top 15, 92.5%, our 619 laps at Atlanta. Now, Briscoe's made two series starts at Atlanta. He's posted an average finish of 15.0, but the Indiana native can find solace in knowing that Stuart Haas Racing won in an alliance with Fred Biaggi in 2018 with driver Kevin Harvick and finished second just last season with Briscoe's then-teammate Cole Custer at Atlanta. Well, we talk about Georgia being on the mind and that's Segan Jones as they're amped up to compete at their home track. Two drivers from that state are entered in this weekend's Xfinity Series race. Extra revved up about racing at their home track, Atlanta Motor Speedway. That's RSS Racing's Ryan Sieg from Tucker and Joe Gibbs Racing, Brandon Jones, right there from Atlanta. Now, the 32-year-old 
Driver Ryan Sieg and his family-owned organization, RSS Racing, are based in Tucker, Georgia, Sieg's hometown. The team is run by Ryan's father, Rod Sieg, and the duo have competed in the NASCAR Xfinity Series since 2013 when they made their series debut at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This season, Sieg is having a career-best start in the four races so far. He's gathered two top fives, three top tens, and an average finish of 6.7 second best behind series standing leaders Harrison Burton's 2.75. Sieg and Burton are the only two drivers that have completed 100% of the laps attempted this season. Sieg heads to Georgia this weekend, seventh in the driver's standing points, 33 points back from Burton in the standing lead. He's made six series starts at AMS, posting a best finish of 11th in last season's race. Now, following his first win of the season last weekend at Phoenix Raceway, the site of the championship four finale that will be later at the end of the year, um, is Atlanta, Georgia's own Brandon Jones of Joe Gibbs Racing. Much like Sieg, he's having a clear best start to his season, posting the one win, two stage wins, two top fives, three top tens, and an average finish of 10.2. Not to mention he won at Phoenix by outracing arguably one of the best ever to compete in this series, his JGR teammate, Kyle Busch. Now, Jones has made four starts at his home track, posting an average finish of 11.5, including his career-best finish of fourth at the track last season. So hopefully we see that continue for these two young drivers looking to make their name in the Xfinity Series this year. Yes, indeed. I've been real impressed with uh, Ryan Sieg and Brandon Jones this week or this year. Uh, for Brandon Jones to beat Kyle Busch was a huge accomplishment, and Ryan Sieg has really been on a roll this season. Uh, and I think he's uh, due for a breakthrough victory. Okay, now who keeps the Xfinity Series different winner streak rolling? Well, two names jumping to the top of most lists when asked. Who is closest to a win this season include JR Motorsports' Justin Algauer and Team Penske's Austin Sendrick. Both put up wins last season and made it deep into the playoffs, but now both are back this season running strong. Now, the high-level skills of veteran Algauer are a consistent theme in his performance on the track, and this season is no different. The 33-year-old from uh, Riverton, Illinois, has run up front, leading most laps, that's 140, and winning most stages, that's three, of any Xfinity driver this season. In fact, he's led laps in every race this year, but only one top 10 finish in four starts to show for that effort. Now, Algauer is ninth in the series driver standings. He's 38 points behind the leader, but Atlanta Motor Speedway could be the track where he finds victory lane. In nine starts at the 1.54-mile track, he has posted two top fives, five top tens, and has an average finish of 11.0. Now, interestingly, he puts up his career-best performance at, La- at Atlanta last year when he started seventh and finished third. Austin Sendrick's breakout season last year was just a precursor to what he hopes this season can be. The 21-year-old from Mooresville, North Carolina, has already been impressive this year, collecting two top fives and three top tens in his first four starts. He's third in the standings, 
the highest-ranked driver without a win yet this season, just 21 points back from Harrison Burton in the standings lead. Now, this weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway should be a continuation of his early success so far this season. In two starts, he has two top tens and an average finish of 8.5, which is best among the drivers that are entered this weekend. Both drivers have a chance to keep their the NASCAR Xfinity Series different winners uh, to start the season streak alive. Now, the record for the highest number of different winners to start a NASCAR Xfinity Series season is 13, and that was done in 1988, followed by 1987 with 10 different winners. Then 2018 had 9, 2098, and 2006 had 8. In 1988 and 2017, the Xfinity Series seasons are tied for the series' most different winners for the entire season with 18 each. Wow. That is indeed uh, some uh, serious stats. Now we're going to look at the winners of plenty, four by four. And this has been kind of a hot topic. I know uh, Quentin actually brought up on NASCAR America calling into um, motorsports mouth. Uh, on Wednesday, but since going to the select a series format in NASCAR in 2011, this season is the first we've seen four different Xfinity Series championship contenders visit Victory Lane in as many series races to start the year. Talked about it last weekend at Phoenix, Joe Gibbs Racing's Brandon Jones added his name to the 2020 wins list, joining JGR teammate Harrison Burton from California. Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe at Las Vegas, and Junior Motorsports' Noah Gregson at Daytona. All four Xfinity drivers have now virtually locked themselves into the playoffs by virtue of their victories. Looking ahead to Atlanta this weekend, adding their points and adding more wins to the box score should be their goal going forward. Harrison Burton will be ranking his serious track debut this weekend, attempting to defend both his driver's standing lead and his rookie standings lead. Gregson made his Atlanta track debut last season, starting fourth and finishing ninth. Brandon Jones talked about made four starts with an average finish of 11.5, and Briscoe has made two starts with an average finish of 15.0. Okay, let's continue talking about uh, standings leader Harrison Burton as he continues the rookie record rookie streak. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing's uh, Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate Harrison Burton continued to make history last weekend at Phoenix Raceway, notching his fourth consecutive top five finish to start the season in as many races. This is the seventh time in series history a driver has started the season with four top fives, and Burton is the first and only rookie in the NASCAR Xfinity Series to accomplish that feat. I'm sorry. Okay. The sixth driver all time, joining Sam Ard in 1984, Kevin Harvick in 2005, and Carl Edwards in 2009 and 10, Elliott Sadler in 2012, and Kyle Busch in 2014. The series record for the most consecutive top five finishes to start a season is eight. Kyle Busch did that in 2014, and in fact, Busch is the only driver to make it to five straight top fives to start a season. Uh, I think Harrison might change that. 
With a win in California and four top fives to start 2020, Burton has a grasp on the series standings lead by just three points over second-place driver Chase Briscoe. This weekend is Burton's series track debut at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and though Burton is off to a record pace, adding a little extra pressure this weekend is the fact that the number 20 JGR team won this race at Atlanta last year with driver Christopher Bell. Bell dominated the event, leading 142 of 163 laps, which represents 87%. On the bright side, Burton isn't a complete stranger to Atlanta Motor Speedway. He made his Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series debut at that track for Kyle Busch Motorsports last year. He started second, finishing in the top ten, finishing eighth. So uh, we, I think we have a lot to look forward to with Harrison Burton throughout this entire season. He has definitely, I mean, I thought he had a good chance of being rookie of the year, but he has definitely come out stronger than even what I anticipated here so far this season. And we'll see how that continues. Um, not only that okay, rookie Jay, battle I wanted, and champion. Uh, no, Jay, I want to take a couple minutes here to go over our fan for racing points um, for the, and picks for Atlanta Motor Speedway. So we're going to skip right, that section cool. and go over that. Okay, uh, starting with the truck series, I know we already talked about them. Uh, the series points in the truck series, Sharon likes to start with that one because she's leading that one with the seven points after uh, the races so far. Sam has six. Owen and myself are tied at five. And James and Andy are tied at two. And with that, let me see what order did we go in. Okay, uh, Andy got to start. He took the bounty hunter, uh, bounty hunted Kyle Busch. James took Todd Gillen. Sharon took Chase Elliott as the hunter in the bounty. Sam took Austin Hill. And that left Owen and I, who had five from last week with Kyle Busch. He took Matt Crafton, and I took Brett Moffitt. Now, in the Xfinity series, this one's we got point point differential here. Andy leads at 13. Sam is a second at 12. Sharon's at 11. Myself and Owen are tied at 6 with James at 4. And this one had some very great picks. Uh, I got to start, unfortunately I had to start this one. I took Austin Sindrick. James came in with Justin Haugar. Owen got Harrison Burton, which I may regret letting him have. Then Andy got his favorite in Chase Briscoe. I'm sorry, I missed, I missed Sam, took Noah Gregson. Andy took Chase Briscoe again, and he will every time he chance he gets. And, Sharon, you said it was a bit of a gamble. I'm not sure it's even a gamble at this point anymore, but taking Ryan Sieg. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see what he does at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I've, got, I've just got a feeling that he's going to have a good run. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> And the Cup Series? Okay, I can do those again real quick here. Uh, the Cup Series, individual standings. That one, Andy leads at 22. I'm second at 21. A little bit of a gap. James has 12. Sharon's at 11. And Owen is at 8. But that could certainly get mixed up a little bit this weekend. Again, we're up to 6 points per race. And... Let me see who started us up. Sharon had to start us off on this one. Brad Keselowski. Yep. Brad Keselowski. 
Uh, James took Kyle Busch here in the Cup Series. I went with Chase Elliott in the Cup. And then Sam went with Joey Logano. Owen took Kevin Harvick. And then Andy had to come in last with, excuse me, Alex Bowman. Okay, and the overall points? Did you oh, give that the overall. No, I did not. Uh, Andy leads at 37. I'm second with 32. Sam is at 30. Sharon is 29. And Owen at 19. And James at 18. Okay. Uh, so we'll have to see how this continues to roll for this uh, season. Uh, but uh, going to be some interesting racing, I know, at uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway. Now, the next race for the Cup Series is the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500, and uh, that's going to take place this Sunday, March the 15th, at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the pre-race coverage will start at 1 o'clock uh, Eastern on Fox. PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio will have the radio coverage They will be racing a distance of 500.5 miles over 325 laps. The first two stages will be 105 laps each, with the last stage ending on the last lap, lap 325. Last year's winner was Brad Keselowski. Well, we're going to take a look at some competition highlights here. Only four races into the 2020 season, and three NASCAR Cup Series teams have celebrated pole positions. JTG Daughtery in Daytona with driver Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Stuart Haas Racing in Fontana with Clint Boyer, and then Hendrick Motorsports in Phoenix with Chase Elliott. Three drivers from three teams have fully... I don't know where the double up was then. Did I miss something? Doesn't show. Uh, three drivers from the three teams have hoisted trophies in the opening four races. That's Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin winning the season opener Daytona 500 becoming only the third driver in history to earn back-to-back titles in the legendary race. Hendrick Motorsports' Alex Bowman earned his second career win at California's Auto Club Speedway, and Team Penske's Joey Logano is this year's first multi-time winner, taking the trophy at both Las Vegas and Phoenix. The average margin of victory through the first four races is 4.590 seconds. Twice the race has ended under caution. The average number of leaders per race is 8.75, up from 8.25 in 2019. The average number of lead changes per race is 21.25, which is the most since 2014 when it was 24.25. This season, this season's 148 green flag passes for the lead are the fifth most in the last 10 seasons. The highest total in the last decade after four races is 255, a mark set in 2014. Total number of green flag passes at 2,241 at Phoenix was the highest total in the last decade and up 66% from a year ago. We talked about that with the package they brought this year. Now, the Phoenix race had 19 green flag passes for the lead, which is an increase of 46% from last year's spring race when there was only 13, and an increase of 90% from the 2019 playoff race, where there was only 10. So, good numbers to see go up. Okay. 
Now, probably the most anticipated rookie class uh, is in the Cup Series this weekend, and last weekend's Phoenix Raceway event was a significant outing for several members of the Cup Series' talented Sunoco rookie class. Stuart Haas Racing's Cole Custer earned a first NASCAR Cup Series Top 10 with a ninth-place finish last Sunday. The effort moved him to 22nd place in the Series Point standings, best among the rookies. Richard Childress Racing's Tyler Record, Tyler, Tyler Reddick earned points in the first two stages and ran among the top five for a good portion of the race before a late race incident cost him a fitting finish, the two-time defending NASCAR Xfinity Series champion, ultimately ended in 33rd place finishing order. But he did earn a lot of positive praise for his work on Sunday. The the up-and-down day dropped him to 25th in the series standings heading into Atlanta. Now, Christopher Bell had his best outing of the four-race season. He finished 24th in the number nine, 95 for Levine Family Racing in his Toyota. He's one position ahead of front row motorsports driver John Hunter Nemechek. Now, Custer is tops among the rookies in the standings, followed by Reddick and Nemechek, who sits 25th and 26th in position, respectively. Bell is currently 32nd in the Cup Series standings, but he does have two wins at this week's Atlanta Motor Speedway venue. He won the 2017 Truck Series race there from the pole position, and then he answered it with a victory in last year's Xfinity Series race at Atlanta. Nemechek is the only other rookie to have celebrated in Atlanta's victory lane, earning the 2016 Truck Series race there with a victory. Uh, let's see, Custer's best showing was a runner-up to Bell in last year's Xfinity Series race. Reddick was fifth in that race as well. So this rookie class is just going to be so much fun as we continue to watch them. I think it's going to be interesting to see which rookie class of the three series is actually the best because we've said we've talked about some great rookie battles in all three so far. True, true, true. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing is looking to bounce, is already bouncing back a little bit after a slow West Coast swing. After a historic 19 win NASCAR Cup Series season in 2019, including Kyle Busch's second series championship, the JGR organization is still largely fine tuning its winning from this year. And Denny Hamlin, driver of the number 11 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, won his second consecutive Daytona 500 to open the season in the same triumphant way. JGR closed out the 2019 season. But since that race, they found itself in a bit of catch-up mode, not always of its own doing. Three of the drivers, Bush, Hamlin, and Truex, qualified for the championship four season finale last year. But after four races this season, not a single JGR JGR driver is ranked among the top ten in the series standings. Hamlin is 11th. 53 points off leader Kevin Harvick, who was the fourth member of last year's championship four. Reigning series champion champ Kyle Busch is ranked 12th, also 53 points back. Truex is 15th, 68 points off. And Jones is 21st, 87 points off the title pace. Now only Hamlin has won a stage this year with one. His 79 laps out front, all at Daytona, 
are the most of any Gibbs driver. Truex has led only 15 laps, Bush 14, and Jones has yet to be out front. This is the first season for Truex without longtime crew chief Cole Pern, so there's a natural learning curve for the number 19 JGR Toyota. He has yet to earn a top 10 and has two DNFs in the four races. The good news is he has a good history at this week's Atlanta Motor Speedway venue and was the race runner-up last spring. He leads all drivers and laps in the top 15 at Atlanta with 80.7% and quality passes at 883. He scored top 10 finishes in nine of his 21 starts. Now, Bush leads the Gibbs contingent with two wins in 2008 and 13 at Atlanta. Driver the number 18 has five top fives and eight top tens finishes in 21 races there and was six at this race last year. Hamlin's victory at Atlanta came in 2012. He has a total of four top fives and seven top tens in 20 starts. And Jones, being uh, relatively new, has only three starts, but the driver the number 20 has never finished worse than 14th. His first start came in 2017. He has one top 10 in those three races and was a career best seventh there last spring. Okay, now Hendrick Motorsports is off to a really great start uh, on the flip side of that. Chase Elliott's early season success is just one of the bright spots for Hendrick Motorsports uh, this 2020 season. Three of its drivers are ranked among the top ten in the standings. Elliott is third, 20 points behind leader Kevin Harvick. Alex Bowman, the Auto Club Speedway winner, is fourth. He's 26 points out. Jimmy Johnson is fifth, 33 points back. And after a hard knock start to the season, William Byron has broken into the top 20 and is part of a two-way tie with Bubba Wallace at 18th place in the point standings. It's the first time the team has had three drivers ranked in the top 10 after four races since 2015 when they had Casey Kane in fourth, Dale Earnhardt Jr. sixth, and Jimmy Johnson in seventh. Now, Bowman has the early season victory of the and one top five in four races. Elliott and Johnson each have a pair of top tens and one top five, and Elliott leads the whole series in stage wins with three and in laps led at 186. Bowman also topped the 100-lap mark in laps led with 113. And the best news for the organization is that the success has been spread out. Uh, Elliott's 17th place finish in the season-opening Daytona 500 was the best for the team. Johnson's fifth-place finish at Las Vegas was tops, and Bowman won at California. So Elliott's seventh, Byron tenth, both had top ten runs last week at Phoenix, the first top ten of the year for Byron. While more recent Atlanta races have been dominated by two-time winners Harvick and Brad Keselowski, Johnson actually leads the series in the most important stats. His five victories in the number 48 Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet are the most in the field. In fact, it's nearly double that of any other driver. Kurt Busch has three. Now twice he won back-to-back races sweeping 2007 and winning in 2015 and 16. Johnson's 14 top five and 16 top 10 efforts are also best among the competition. He's tied with Harvick for the top driver rating at 100.5. 
All right. And as Mike pointed out, uh, HMS has definitely uh, upped their game this year um, across the board. Expect to see a little bit more out of the 24 here this year with William Byron. We'll see how that plays out. We're going to talk a little bit more about one of them, though, and that's home again, home again for Chase Elliott. This week's Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 at Atlanta, home, Atlanta Motor Speedway is a home race for the sport's most popular driver, 24-year-old Chase Elliott, out of Dawsonville, Georgia. So there's going to be plenty of family and friends joining a huge fandom in the stands. Unfortunately not, as we read that, but Elliott did love nothing more to earn his first victory of the season at this venue. Elliott, would, the driver of the number nine Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, is third in the NASCAR Cup Series standings, only 20 points behind leader Kevin Harvick. He's climbed up the standings with a pair of top 10 finishes in the last two races, where he is fourth at California and seventh at Phoenix. Here he also won the Bush Pole position. Elliott has a series best three-stage wins. He's led laps in three of the four races, including a race best 93 at Phoenix. His 70 laps out front at Las Vegas was a second only to Harvick's 92. Neither of the drivers has won a race just yet. Now, Atlanta is certainly a prime <laughs> prospect for Elliott to celebrate mightily in victory lane. He has three top 10 finishes and only four NASCAR Cup Series starts at the track, including a best finish of fifth in 2017. His worst showing was in 2019 when he finished 19th. Interestingly, for as good as Elliott's results have been, he has never led a lap at Atlanta. I would not have believed that if somebody had told me, but apparently it's true. (laughs) That's amazing. Now, Harvick takes over the points lead. We've mentioned that before, but no one has been more consistent than Kevin Harvick this season. His series best, four top ten finishes in four races, back that up. And thanks to a season best runner-up finish at Phoenix Raceway last Sunday, Harvick has earned the NASCAR Cup Series points lead by just one point over two-race winner Joey Logano. But as great as the purchase on top of the standings might be, the driver of the number four, Stuart Haas Racing Ford, would like to firmly secure that championship opportunity with the victory and the sooner the better. Atlanta Motor Speedway has been a productive and sentimental venue for the 44-year-old Californian. He scored his very first career NASCAR Cup Series win at Atlanta in 2001 in the number 29 Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet, the same car that Dale Earnhardt drove as the number three when he died in that season's Daytona 500. A then 25-year-old Harvick, in only his third career series start, earned one of the most emotional wins in the sport's history that afternoon. He answered it 17 years and 27 Atlanta races later with another victory in 2018, and he's the favorite for this weekend as well. Harvick has a 14 career top 10 finishes at Atlanta, 11 in the last 13 races. The driver of the number four, Stuart Haas Racing Ford, has led an unmatched 960 laps in just the last six races, including 181 in his 2018 victory and an impressive 292 of 325 laps in his 2017 ninth-place run. 
Now, Harvick's success has been indicative of the whole Stuart Hawes organization of late as the team, team swept that top ten at the track on Sunday at Phoenix. Led by Harvick's runner-up finish, Clint Boyer was fifth, Eric Almarola was eighth, and Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender Cole Custer was ninth. Now, Almarola is currently ranked eighth in the standings, 43 points behind his teammate. Uh, Kevin Harvick, Boyer is 13th, 59 points back, and rookie Cole Custer is 22nd in the series point standings. All right. Now, as we wrap up at Atlanta, as Sharon Pitkin, Keselowski is looking to repeat. He's been the cream of the crop, the car on top, when it comes to Atlanta Motor Speedway's most recent Cup Series races. He's won two of the last three and finished second in the other. After a frustrating near-miss at Phoenix Raceway's trophy last weekend, the 2012 Series champion arrives at AMS for Sunday's Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500, primed and ready to celebrate victory in 2020. Results have traditionally met high hopes for the Team Penske driver there. In 11 starts at the 1.5-mile track, Keselowski has earned four top fives and seven top ten finishes. He's finished in the top ten in the last five consecutive races, and he's the defending champion of this weekend's race. Last year, after winning at Atlanta, which was the second race on the schedule instead of the fifth as it is now, Keselowski earned top three finishes in three of the next four events. He won his second race of the year at Martinsville Speedway four weeks after celebrating in Atlanta's victory lane. Driver of the number two team Penske Ford could use a dose of that good energy right now. After a frustrating early exit in the season-opening Daytona 500, where he finished 36 after being collected in an accident, he rallied to a seventh place at Las Vegas and a fifth place at California. Last week, though, he pitted from third with only a handful of laps remaining at Phoenix and returned to salvage an 11th place finish. He had won stage two, and his recovery was good enough to move him inside the top ten in driver points to tenth for the first time this season. He led 82 laps at Phoenix, a mark only bettered by Chase Elliott's 93 out front, and advanced him from a 30th place ranking after the Daytona 500 to that season-high 10th place heading into this race. He's 46 points off point leader Kevin Harvick. Keselowski has proven himself to be an absolute favorite at this Georgia track. Again, he owns two wins of his 30 career wins. 13 of them have come on 1.5-mile venues such as Atlanta, the largest win tally among the NASCAR Cup Series style of racetracks. So, Sharon, you, you had to got to pick first. You might have taken the best option. <laughs> well, I, I looked at a lot of things, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, uh, this works out for me this week because I, I need some points in this series. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, looking at him, I got Chase Elliott, so I'm right there with you. Uh, obviously, you can't count out Kevin Harvick as we talked about him. Oh, no. Yeah, Kevin Harvick would have been, is a good pick as well. And actually, Owen picked Kevin Harvick this weekend, too. So uh, it, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to the racing. Uh, I know Hot Topic Sound Off is coming up here in a couple of minutes. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about there, Jay. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to Andy coming on board uh, to have that conversation with us. In fact, I don't know if that's Andy. I don't think that is Andy. 
I think that might be Mike well, just being on standby. Okay. Um, yep, he said it, yeah, it, it is, is in there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think Mike's on standby. Well and... Yes. Okay. But I think he's also uh, on gonna... standby in case uh, uh, Andy can't make it. Well, and I know uh, I hadn't heard anything specific from Andy, but I know he was out and about today. Um, as well as Sam talking about this with what our hot topic is going to be part of an industry that might be most affected by the current uh, situation with the coronavirus. Yes. Uh, I tell you what, it's been a day uh, today in the sports world. Uh, I think I've seen more statements from more organizations than I have ever seen in my entire life in one day. Uh, it's just been incredible, and uh, I think this is not the end of it. I think we will see more uh, in the next week or so. We'll have to kind of wait and see what happens here. Uh, But the good news is I think a lot of this is uh, really well-intentioned, and I think, uh, you know, it's everybody kind of doing their part to kind of uh, flatten the curve, if you will, of the coronavirus outbreak. And if we can flatten that curve and uh, minimize the impact uh, for everybody, then it's well worth the effort on on everyone's part here to make that happen. So uh, definitely looking forward to talking more about this in the next half hour. And we are now at the top of the hour. I'm looking here to see... Yes, Andy is here, so I'm going to bring him into the queue uh, And uh, as soon as there it goes. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sharon. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing quite all right. Uh, we were just talking about the coronavirus and the uh, record number of statements for one day uh, from all the organizations with regard to the coronavirus. Uh, Andy, I'm thinking that's going to be at the top of everybody's list for conversation uh, tonight. Why don't you go ahead and get started with your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. Um, That's obviously the big one. So that was what I was going to bring up. So, yeah, I mean, unprecedented, really. Um, I I can't really recall anything um, of this magnitude, you know, with so many different sporting organizations. Um, the last one that really comes to mind would probably be what what took place after 9-11. Uh, there were some postponements. I think, um, well, I remember it well because I was there, but the NASCAR finale became New Hampshire that year. That was the first race they ever went to. So, um, you know, that's the last really event that I recall where we had postponements and uh, things of this nature. But as far as, um, you know, NASCAR willing to run, uh, this weekend in Atlanta and Homestead uh, with no spectators. That's a first. I'm not sure uh, this has ever taken place before. Um, so it's uh, it's certainly interesting and really escalated quickly. I mean, 48 hours, well, really just yesterday, um, you know, there really wasn't all, anything new in terms of all these restrictions and cancellations and postponements, but a lot's really come out between yesterday and a lot more today. So, um, you know, I think this afternoon there was, you know, some uncertainty whether they'd even race this weekend. And, and I don't think we're, as I heard you say before I came on, I don't think we're, you know, we've seen the last of uh, some announcements and things to come. So, 
Yeah, certainly, um, as they say, a fluid situation that's ever-changing. It, it impacts a lot of people. Um, you know, I'm even wondering myself what's going to happen, uh, you know, with my job and things like that. So it's uh, it's an interesting time. Um, but I can say that I applaud NASCAR. I think that they have made um, the best decision that they can in the interest of not only keeping things going, but also um, in the interest of their competitors, people that work in the industry, as well as the fans. And I know that I'm sure if you're a fan that was scheduled to go to Atlanta or Homestead, it's incredibly disappointing, but at the same time, you know, things have to be taken and done to, uh, you know, keep everyone safe. It's, it's, it's something, you know, again, that we haven't really seen before. So it's crazy, but, you know, I'm happy that they're going to try to keep going this weekend and, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to kind of look at it week to week and, and see if things change or not. But, um, you know, I, I think the bigger story might be the weather. <laughs> Unfortunately for this weekend, uh, it doesn't look that great, truthfully. But um, I guess that's another thing that we just have to see what happens. So uh, hopefully we see some great on-track racing, um, you know, from Atlanta this weekend. And hopefully they can keep the season moving forward. Okay, Jay, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, I'm going to start with here what, what Mike had in the chat room, if I can pull it back up, had in the chat room there. Uh, and him and I had actually talked about this a little a little outside of it already. Um, obviously, a tough box to be in. I mean, there was no I, a real good answer. Uh, Mike put he thinks it could have been handled in a way that was less of a negative impact for the fans and local communities of the tracks. You know, Hampton, Georgia is outside of Atlanta. It is not actually in Atlanta, as well as Homestead, Florida, not actually being in Miami. So two small cities that depend on big events like NASCAR races um, for a big boost to the local economy. And and it certainly is going to have that impact without the fans being there um, for hotels, food, you know, the the gas. Um, I was talking about that with my girlfriend the gas to get to and from the track, you know, the gas station. So I really don't see that there was a good option. Uh, I know NASCAR originally, their plan was to limit driver and fan interaction, that they were taking some course of actions there. I think that they kind of got a little bit more pressure from other entities and sports that were doing cancellation. Um, and, and I know rescheduling is a nightmare. I've gone through that. So to say just to reschedule it so that the community doesn't lose that impact of financial gain isn't just as easy as rescheduling it. You know, there's a lot of things that got to be looked at. That would be the ideal um, so that, again, the community still benefits from that race as far as the fans. But I, I don't know. Again, I, I'm not a doctor or in the medical profession. I don't know how serious this actually is. It does seem to me that maybe the media is putting a little bit too much of a spin on it. I mean, we all need to be proactive and be aware of it, but the world can't come to a stop. I mean, that, that's just a fact, you know. So uh, kind of on the fence. I mean, they had to do something, and I, I'm glad I didn't have to make that decision, put it that way. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Jay. Uh, here's here's where I kind of stand on, on some of those thoughts. So uh, I, I do applaud NASCAR 
for making the decision that they made. While other sports are not having events this weekend, they've completely canceled their schedules. Uh, They have to take into consideration uh, their particular situations. I'm not familiar with that, so I can't say that they made bad decisions there. But I think NASCAR is trying to do everything they can to make sure that an event still takes place this weekend with the decisions that they have made. Uh, and, and that will be the case at Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend. Uh, you're right, weather could be a bigger factor in all of this, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, the other thing is that if I were an entrepreneur in those areas, the very first thing I'd be starting to do right now is scheduling watch parties uh, to to include uh, everybody uh, to kind of come to their venue to watch the NASCAR races this weekend. And I would include every single one of them as a watch party uh, so that uh, I minimize the impact financially to my organization. So I think there are some creative things that people can do uh, it's probably not going to equal, but it, it, it can kind of take the edge off of it anyway uh, to kind of come up with some creative ways for people to uh, continue to uh, sustain their, their way of uh, their, their business, if you will. So I think that, that that's something for, for people to look at very closely. Uh, but uh, I understand that having a watch party is going to be a much smaller venue than if people were at the racetrack. But uh, it's still going to be a venue. And if uh, all the businesses, if all the different bars are doing something uh, and getting people out, then that, that's good. Um, I, I think people have to be smart about it. People, if you're not having symptoms uh, and, and everything, then you do want to kind of get out. I know you can still carry the virus if you are uh, out and about and you can still transmit that virus. Um, but uh, there, another symptom that could come out of this if everybody quarantines themselves is that you're going to have a lot of lonely people. Uh, I, I saw some articles uh, earlier today about uh, uh, the loneliness syndrome kicking in for people who aren't getting out because of all of this. So I do think that people have to use good judgment about that. But I think that there are still some opportunities there uh, for people to minimize the impact on a local economic perspective. Um, The other thing is that uh, they didn't have much of another choice. Uh, This could end up being a really good thing for NASCAR, especially as it relates to TV, because with all of the other sporting events not, taking place this weekend, uh, about the only choice sport fans are going to have is to watch NASCAR on TV. And I think that's going to be a good thing because I think it's going to introduce a lot of people to the sport. Uh, And uh, I think uh, that could be a good thing as well. Uh, (laughs) I will say my daughter called me today uh, saying that she went to uh, Costco today and it was an absolute madhouse with police directing traffic because uh, there was so much uh, people, so many people going into Costco uh, to get their paper goods and so forth uh, throughout this outbreak. Uh, I will say 
she said they don't even do that at Christmas time, so it really is a major event there. Uh, she had to look for a shopping cart out in the parking lot to be able to get a shopping cart. And uh, the other part of that was that uh, half of the stuff that she went there to get, she could not find. So, uh, again, people have to use good common sense when it comes to some of this stuff. People are stockpiling in a panic mode, and uh, I think some of that is a little overdone, if you will, and uh, uh, you, you need to take a step back and really put this all into perspective. Yes, we can all do our part. Uh, many of us are doing that, but, uh, you know, you got to remember this is a world of people and not just yourself. So uh, let's try to help each other out during this corona outbreak and do what we can as a community. So that's just my thoughts on that. And, Andy, I'm curious for your follow-up. Yeah, <laughs> to your point there that you just mentioned, there's a lot of ridiculous behavior, I guess you can say, that's going on right now. Um, you know, the world's not ending, folks. Uh, you know, I, it, it is a an unfortunate virus that, that doesn't have a vaccine right now, but, you know, that will be forthcoming at some point. Um, from what I understand about it, and I don't want the show to be about this, obviously, but from what I understand, this is a virus that really only affects people that are the elderly or weakened immune system. So if you're a perfectly healthy individual, you're probably going to be okay. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of overreaction, I guess, is the way to put it. Uh, but there's a lot of certainly, you know, having been out in the public and having been, you know, at the airports this week, it's noticeably different for sure. And um, I think it's going to have an effect for a while. So, but, um, you know, getting back on the topic at hand here, obviously, you know, I think NASCAR was put, like Jay said, really difficult decision and people are going to criticize it either way, no matter what. So um, I think they made the decision that was best for, for them with the information they had in front of them. And um, yeah, obviously there is going to be an economic impact, you know, but like I said, you're not going to please everybody. And unfortunately, you know, they, they have to make a decision either way. And I'm sure that if they had said they were going to postpone it, people would complain about that because, you know, of not being able to go whenever the race was rescheduled. So, you know, you're going to, you can't please everybody. That's the way it goes. And, you know, the hard part would have been probably where do you fit those races in? Yes, there are a few off weeks, um, you know, that may have worked, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's a tough call. So the fact that they're going to keep going, I think, you know, is a, is a pretty good decision. And obviously, you know, if things worsen, then we may see some further decisions made on future events, you know, but, but at this point, I think that they did what they had to do. So, um, you know, hopefully we can just focus on the, uh, the good racing that Atlanta generally produces this weekend. Okay. Jay. Well, I I like what you brought up, Sharon, as far as the, the television impact, which obviously I do think is going to greatly increase. And I go back to, I believe it was the, 1979 Daytona 500 that really put NASCAR on the map with a Northeaster that hit um, the Midwest to Northeast and everybody was in and watching the Daytona 500 and that happened to be the year of the uh, Alice and Yarbrough fight. So getting a lot of people obviously going to be watching it because there's nothing going to be else beyond. But my, my concern is from the aspect of the track and the team, 
where does that if the TV ratings go up, they don't get more money from that out of the television package. So where does the track get compensated for the loss of of income uh, from the fans being there? That that's where my concern is is what they're giving up there uh, as it pertains to. But and I know Mike said something about keeping it light, and uh, I saw a couple of jokes, and I know I made some of them on our on our post with our fantasy picks. Uh, one was. I believe Kyle Bush won't get booed during driver intros, which I don't know if he that's true or not because some of the other drivers <laughs> might boo him, but uh, he's not alone in that category right now. I know that. The second was the old old philosophy: if the tree falls in the wood, nobody's woods, and nobody's here there to hear it. So if Kyle Bush gets beat for the bounty and nobody's there to see it, did it really happen? <laughs> yeah, and I saw another one. I saw another one. Maybe they couldn't get enough toilet paper at the track to uh, accommodate a full crowd. <laughs> yeah, I believe Mike had that one up in the chat room as well. Yeah, uh, I did see. Uh, I think Quentin put this up. It was a photo of somebody's bathroom walls covered with toilet paper rolls and saying that uh, they had their panic room ready for the coronavirus. Uh, that one made me laugh. <laughs> I hadn't seen that one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, people are, are having a little bit of fun with it, which is okay. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is kind of funny uh, to see how people are coping with it. But, uh, you know, again, it all comes down to NASCAR making the best decision. I do feel bad for the tracks, Jay, to the point that you're making. These tracks uh, are going through a lot of extra work right now uh, and not being compensated for that extra work. And I will tell you, my daughter is in the meeting uh, industry. She sets up a lot of these meetings for a lot of uh, corporations, and a lot of those meetings are now being canceled, and they're not getting paid for it. So uh, that's, that's happening and having a ripple effect all the way through uh, kind of the business world. And uh, this is going to be pretty far-reaching how much of an impact it's going to have during this time, uh, which is why it is so, so important uh, to flatten that bell curve, if you will. If they were not taking some of these steps, that bell curve would rise so quickly uh, and and impact so many more people uh, that it would really be ridiculous and we'd be in a much deeper hole here. So these steps are all intended to flatten the curve, uh, to minimize the impact so that we can go on with our life as usual uh, within a shorter period of time. And that's why I urge everybody uh, to kind of do their part uh, and to think about this as a community effort uh, to do your part to minimize that impact during these next few weeks. Uh, so um, uh, everybody's trying to do the very best they can uh, and uh, keeping a positive attitude and kind of keeping a momentum going here in the right direction I think is extremely important from everyone's perspective. Okay. Uh, I think we're ready. Are we ready to move on to another topic, or did you guys have any other follow-ups? No, I got nothing else there. No, I'm okay, good. Jay? Uh, um, Andy? <laughs> no, I don't. I think that uh, hopefully our focus can go to uh, enjoying some, some good old-fashioned racing this weekend in Atlanta. Yes. Okay, Jay, 
What's your next to- topic? Well, uh, Mike's been so active here uh, with the, within the chat room, and I know this is one him and I talked about. The article I just put out that I came out, believe came out Wednesday, uh, driver for the number 48 when that decision gets made, one of them that I talked about possibly being Ross Chastain. Uh, Mike brought up the fact that he thinks that Chastain's stock might actually dip based on his performance in the number six Ford uh, Roush Fenway Racing Ford filling in for Ryan Newman. Wanted to know what you guys thought about that. Okay, Andy, you're up. Uh, that's a good point, but I mean, you know, that that's the first time Ross has worked with that team with that crew chief. Um, you know, it takes some time to get used to things. I don't think um you can just jump in a car and, and let's be honest, the six car is not a top tier car that can get up there and lead and dominate. So you know, that's not to slight Roush Fenway Racing. I think that they have continued to work hard to get themselves better. I think Ryan Newman has made a difference for that team in making them better. And certainly with the addition of Chris Busher as his teammate, um, you know, you're going to see continued improvement. But that that's a team that, you know, I mean, Newman being the veteran that he is was able to grind out a lot of top tens last year and be very consistent. Um, but I attribute a lot of that to his veteran nature and and his ability to do that. Um, If you really look at the history of what that car and that team have, the organization has done the last two to three seasons, they've really kind of been 15th to 20th place cars on a weekly basis. Um, You know, so, and that's kind of where Ross has been running, right? I mean, he's really kind of been hanging around that, you know, 12th to 20th area. And, you know, his finishes haven't necessarily been great by any means. But again, a lot of it, I think, can be attributed to having never worked for that team, having never worked with that crew chief. It takes time, and I think that if Ross were to drive for the full season, you'd see significant improvement probably from the first half of the year to the second half of the year. Trying to figure out what Ross needs in a car, I can only imagine that you know, what Ross needs in a car is probably different than what Ryan Newman needs in a car. So I don't want I, – I don't think his stock would dip, really. I think Ross is a great talent that is – had uh, some success obviously in the truck series and the Xfinity series, which as we've talked about on previous shows are both completely different animals than the cup series. Um, But I just think that it's going to take some time, but I I think that if Ross is in that car for, you know, several more weeks, you'll probably start to see some improvement. So um, I, I don't think this takes at all anything away from what Ross can do and his ability to hopefully get a top-tier cup ride in the future. Absolutely, Andy. I, I'm, I'm right there with you because we've seen Ross get into a car and win and uh, have great success. Now I'm wondering if the manufacturer has something to do with that as well. He's raced at Chip Ganassi Racing. They were all set to bring him within their organization in his Chevy until the sponsorship fell through. Uh, He's jumped into the truck series and started winning. I know that's the lower tier, but Ross Chastain has shown uh, that he he is a very capable driver. Uh, And a lot of people have said this, and it is true, that jumping up into the NASCAR Cup Series is one of the biggest jumps that a driver will make. Uh, It's not an easy uh, learning curve for a lot of drivers. So I think 
uh, giving him an opportunity to work with the crew chief, to your point, and uh, to do what he's doing in that number six car to just acclimate himself, I think is is uh, uh, what we need to do as fans is give him that chance to do that. Um, I, I know that he's a good driver. I think overall his season this year has not been as strong as we've seen him uh, overall. But, again, he's going through a lot of changes uh, within a short amount of time that he was not anticipating going through. So, uh, again, I think that speaks to giving him some time to kind of work through all of that uh, is is the right thing to do here. Uh, and I think he could still be a candidate for the 48 uh, because, keep in mind, that is a Chevrolet. So uh, I, I do think that uh, maybe Chevrolets are more suited to uh, Russ Chastain's driving style. Uh, Moving over to Ford might be a little bit of a challenge for him, and and especially this year with the changes that were made to the Chevrolet body and to that nose. uh, I think that that's made a big difference as well. So uh, Brad Keselowski is another name, I'll just throw that out there, that's been talked about in that number 48 uh, and Jay, I see you bringing that up in the chat room as well. So let's go around with the follow-ups. Well, I, th- Jay, I think that Chastain is do- doing an okay job. Um, it's tough to say. You know, we saw what Ryan Newman did to the end of last season. Come out obviously battling for the win at Daytona, so kind of had higher expectations. But we don't really know even what Ryan Newman would have done in that number six going through these races. So uh, I can't say, I I feel like maybe he's been a little bit behind where that team should have been or what we thought anyway, again, with the performance we saw out of it last year and coming into this year. But there's so many factors Mm -hmm. that could have played into that. You know, we haven't seen Toyotas perform like they did last year. So uh, I think you might have a point that maybe Chevrolets are better suited for him. And I know Mike has brought up the connection to CGR, Chip Ganassi Racing. I do think that's going to come into play. Um, I think he has to be considered a option for the 48. Um, but I do think that if that number one comes available or either car comes available, Chip Ganassi Racing is Larson is also possibly uh, not going to be there next season, but I disagree with that. Um, that I do see him in a Chevrolet, and there are a couple spots where he could move up into the Cup Series. But as far as his performance in the number six, I I don't think it's hurt him any. It might be a case a little bit of overdriving, trying to prove something, but I don't see it as a whole lot. I think it's kind of just been circumstantial. Okay. Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, the only thing I can really say is that I, I think that moving forward you'll you'll see improvement. I think that it just it takes time to get used to a completely new situation. So um, I, I think that if you look at Ross and what he's done, and, and keep in mind that you know in the Truck Series and Xfinity Series he's um, really overachieved. I think at times and under underfunded equipment. So. Um, there's no doubt mm-hmm. that the talent is there. I just obviously with the cup series being more difficult and more competitive teams and just being in a new situation. No, I don't, I don't think anyone expected him to come out and finish top five every race and, and, and win races. I just, it's just not feasible. So um, I, I, I think he'll definitely be sought out. And I think when you look at 
what the potential for 2021 silly season will be like. I, I, I find it hard to believe that Ross Chastain wouldn't be in the conversation for a good ride next year. Um, and, and you hope that for him. He's a kind of a blue collar up and coming driver that has really worked hard to, you know, bring his, bring himself up to this point. So, um, yeah, I, I think he'll be fine, honestly. It just, you know, and I also think that you're going to start seeing uh, better results and, and some improvement in the six car moving forward. Okay, it looks like Mike and Jay are putting a bounty on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to kind of see how this plays out. Jay, you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. Uh, I. I... I can't say that he's the favorite. That's why I was just adding some to that of, of he's got to give me odds. Mike is saying there's no way he goes into the 48. I'm saying it's a possibility. So I'll put the bet out there. Uh, we'll see if he'll give me odds on, uh, say, three or four to one. 12-pack uh, beverage of choices, he put it. Everybody knows mine would be Mountain Dew. But uh, I, th- I think his name has to be there. Uh, I do think that especially with all the talk that's been out there. Again, I'm a, I'm a big believer in there where there's smoke, there's fire that Brad Keselowski has to be at the top of the list. Um, but I don't think it's a lockdown deal yet. I I know Mike is one that really believes he has absolutely done at Penske. I'm not sure he's done at Penske. Uh, I do see where there may be some rifts and some concerns, um, but I wouldn't bet on him not being at Penske either. So, uh, we'll have to see how this plays out, and yeah, for three or four bucks on a twelve pack, I'll take the bet. <laughs> okay, and I don't see anybody coming in and uh, doubling that up. Uh, we'll see how it all works out. You have to keep us posted. Okay, we are at that time of the night where it's time for me to make the announcement uh, to all of our listeners in case there's anybody new out there uh, that we do go off the air right at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the dot. However, we do continue to record the rest of the conversation as part of our overtime bonus material that's available on our podcast. Now, if you are listening up to this point, Uh, All you have to do when the podcast becomes available is to fast forward to the two-hour mark, and you'll be able to hear the rest of that conversation. Or like Mike has done, and we've seen Quentin do, uh, I guess you can call into the show and uh, listen to uh, uh, the live broadcast, our continued conversation. That number, if you do want to call in, is... 929-477-1790. So, uh, again, uh, I will put out a tweet on Twitter uh, that tells people when that podcast does become available, and uh, you can uh, go back and, like I say, fast forward to that two-hour mark. Podcast listeners, it's going to be seamless. Uh, You'll be able to listen to the podcast without any interruption. But we do like to announce, in case we have any new listeners, uh, what to expect at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So with that, are we ready to move on, guys? I think so, yeah. Okay, Andy, what's your next topic? You know, to be honest, I, just with the coronavirus stuff going on, I, I haven't really seen anything big this week. So if you guys got a bunch on your list, we can just go forward with that. Okay, Jay? I'm sorry, say that again? He didn't really have anything. Do you have any topics oh. on your list? 
Uh, you know, actually, for tonight, I didn't. Let me look through some of the ones that maybe we hadn't gotten to in the past, but I didn't have any other specifics. Um, I think generally we catch up pretty quick. I know we had a lot of them at the beginning of the season. I'm not thinking uh, one off say, the top did, of my did, head. Did either of you hear Ryan Newman on uh, the Today Show on Wednesday? I saw the transcript and, and, and what he spoke about. I didn't actually see the clip. Oh, okay. I did see the clip. Did you see it, uh, Jay? I saw, I saw several different clips. I didn't watch the actual uh, interview, but I know there were several different clips um, that have been played throughout Facebook and Twitter. Um, I know one of the things that they asked about was his involvement in safety and, and going forward, how blessed he is to be here and the things that did work right, even considering the situation that happened. And uh, so very true. Uh, I know he did acknowledge that he did have a, uh, I want to say brain bruise. He didn't use the word concussion. What was the word that was used? He said bruise. A bruise. A bruise. bruise. There we go. Brain. Yeah. There we go. A, a bruised brain. So I don't know where that falls in line um, and still no timetable. So, uh, the fact that he was unconscious for a period, obviously that the concussion and the effect of that is where the concern lies. And, and we all want him back at the track in the car. It was great to see him out at Phoenix and is still obviously involved very deeply with the team, uh, with helping Ross Chastain. So uh, hopefully see him back at the track again when he's been cleared and is fully healthy. Right. I, I did see the clip, and it was uh, very interesting. He did talk uh, uh, to quite, about the incident that, uh, like you mentioned, that he was unconscious for a little while there. He doesn't remember certain parts of it, um, and uh, he he was really pretty straightforward when you think about it, about what happened to him. Uh, he has been getting a lot of... Uh, uh, therapy, as he calls it, in with a few fishing trips uh, on tap and and showing his uh, uh, fishing uh, results. So I think that's good that he is out and about. He was at Phoenix Raceway last weekend, so he's been at the track. Uh, he's been alluding to the fact that uh, he wants to get back into racing as quickly as possible. Uh, I think one of the questions on the Today Show was, uh, why wouldn't he retire after an incident like that versus getting trying to get back into the car. And he said he's been racing since he was four and a half years old, and it's who he is and what he does. And he want, it's where he feels most comfortable is uh, in a race car. So he's, he definitely is anxious to get back uh, into a race car and to start uh, racing as quickly as possible. Uh, and, and to add to that, he said the angels aligned uh, in order to make things, uh, they held him tight is what he was saying uh, to, and kept him safe. And he really applauded NASCAR for the safety innovations that have been put into place uh, to protect him uh, and any other driver in those situations. So uh, I thought it was a really great interview. Uh, I thought he was uh, very straightforward. And uh, I, I uh, am happy to hear him uh, be on such a positive note. He talked about his girls, and all they wanted to know is that they had their same dad back. And was, as soon as he reassured them that it was still him and nothing was wrong with him, uh, they were very happy. And, and 
uh, I think we all of our hearts were, uh, 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 you know, we all had happy hearts to see Ryan Newman walk out of the hospital hand in hand with his girls. So, Andy or Jay, anything more you want to say there? Yeah, no, I, mean, I again so. just. Oh, go ahead, Andy. Oh no, I was just not not much really. Just other than, you know, it, it's interesting to learn what his injuries were. I think a lot of us were at least a little curious, you know, what he actually went through, and you know, just overall, I just super lucky that he's able to do what he's doing now. When you look at that crash, it's still an amazing thing to see. So, um, you know, hopefully they, you know, like he's been doing, he just takes the time and gets better, and hopefully we see him at some point this year. So. Um, but just, um, it, you know, having read some of the, the wording and the transcripts from it, you know, just interesting to hear what he had to say about it. But, um, yeah, certainly good that he's on the mend and, and hopefully we, we see him behind the wheel again when he's ready to come back. Yeah. Now, Jay, he's reminding us, too, that the roll cage was compromised. Uh, and a lot will remember that Newman, uh, Mike had mentioned that, uh, we'll remember that Newman asked NASCAR to implement a an additional roll bar, and it is now called the Newman roll bar. Uh, so thank goodness that was in place. Uh, they said it was compromised, but it held together. So, Jay, any additional thoughts there? Well, and I know Newman specifically mentioned as far as the, the build of the car itself to uh, giving credit to the crews, the weldings that are in place to hold yeah. those bars in place. Um, so, again, we, you know, we we see week in and week out little things teams are doing that we talk about might be compromising safety. I think this is a, a great reminder of this is what happens if you try and cut corners, you know, use a softer weld to gain a little bit of weight or lose a little bit of weight or whatever. So hopefully they uh, take note of that. That's a that's a uh, very good point. Okay. Uh, Andy, anything more there? Uh, no, no follow-up. Um, I guess, uh, Jay, did you say you had some more stuff on your list of hot topics? Well, with, with this whole bet thing uh, is one that Mike and I kind of got into uh, I know we've talked about the drivers in contract years, but specifically Kyle Larson. And, and this is one that I incorporated into my article on who goes into the 48, but I don't see Kyle Larson. His name comes up every, every time he's in a contract year and some other top rides come open. I don't see him getting a deal like he has with Ganassi to do the outside racing that he does. I know a lot of the owners frown upon that. Hendrick Motorsports being one of them as that came, became an issue with uh, Casey Kane uh, in the years there that he was there. So uh, I really don't see him as being one in the 48, going into the 48, and I really don't see him going anywhere outside of Chip Ganassi Racing um, based on the deal he does have with him. Okay. Andy, your thoughts there? It's going to be interesting. There's been a long time – speculation and rumor that um, Tony Stewart actually wanted Larson to replace him in the 14 car, but it was, I think, due to logistics of his existing contract that prevented it. So there apparently has been this longtime tie between Stewart and Larson, both dirt racers. Um, to play devil's advocate to what you said, if anyone would 
understand Larson's desire to run all these dirt races and, and do extracurricular activities, it would be Tony Stewart. Um, you've apparently, it's not just one, but two SHR drivers that are in contract years. Um, I think it's probably no secret that, that Boyer is on the verge of retiring. At least that's my own opinion. And that's coming from someone that supports him. So, I mean, you're going to see changes within that in other teams next year. And I, I just, you know, while I, I guess I would be just, I, I mean, I guess I would be, um, not very surprised to see him back in the 42 and I would feel the exact same way to see him in the 14. It would, it wouldn't be a shock either way. Um, or, or, you know, at Stuart Haas racing, you know, obviously they've got, you know, some talent coming up through, uh, with Briscoe, you know, coming in, you know, and possibly getting into a car next year. But, um, you know, I can see Larson making a move and, you know, I guess a lot depends on, you know, how bad Chip Ganassi wants to keep him in that car, um, you know, but it could be a good opportunity for Kyle to change, you know, teams, go to, you know, some new scenery, if you will, and, and maybe, you know, get some different results. Not that he's had bad results, but um, hasn't really been a factor to win a championship since he's been at Chip Ganassi Racing. And, you know, maybe a, a team change could elevate him to a championship caliber driver. So, um, but I guess I would be, um, I wouldn't be shocked either way. I think that there's just as good a chance of him staying in the 42 as, as possibly going to Stuart Haas racing. But I think that that's where it ends. I, I couldn't see him going anywhere else other than SHR. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens, but I think that 2021 silly season is going to be pretty big for sure. Yes, indeed. I agree with you. I do think that uh, I don't see Rick Hendrick being as uh, accommodating when it comes to the dirt racing as as Tony Stewart would be. So from that perspective, uh, I think that's a, a point that goes against Kyle Larson moving to HMS uh, and, and maybe going somewhere else if he goes anywhere. Uh, so that, that's kind of an interesting point that uh, is brought up there. Um, it, it's going to be fun to see who goes into the 48. I would have to say Brad Keselowski is probably at the top of that list, uh, but there are some other options for to, to kind of keep in mind there as well. And I think Ross Chastain might be one of the better uh, other options that there are out there uh, because of his success in his Chevrolet. So, uh, we'll see. We'll have to see how it all plays out. Uh, there's a lot of conversations, I'm sure, that are taking uh, place behind uh, the scenes. And uh, I, I know Mike thinks he knows what's going to happen, and maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe he's got a crystal ball, Jay. Well, no, I, I have to agree with everybody. I do think Brad, Brad is at the top of the list. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, you know, it, it almost seems like it already has and just hasn't been announced the way some of the talk has been. But the, yeah. the bet is official. The bet is official. Uh, Mike says oh, Brad okay. goes in. Uh, I did get five drivers out of the deal. I got Ross Chastain, Corey LaJoy. Uh, we talked about him taking a handwritten letter to Hendrick during the Hall of Fame ceremonies. Um, it, is, it is a possibility. I would not rule it out, but I don't know that he's at the top of the list. And I know I didn't have him in my article, but somebody commented on that. And it is one that I think is possible. The other three drivers I took, I did take Larson, though. Again, that one, 
I do like the fact that Andy mentioned Stuart Haas, and I would see where he could fit in at Stuart Haas based on Stuart's history there. But my other two drivers would be from the Xfinity. If Justin Algar comes up for a year or two uh, before Noah Gregson is ready, and the possibility of Gregson moving up. So those are my five drivers against Brad Kay uh, in the bet here with Mike. <laughs> well, I was going to pose to the both of you, what are the odds that we do see an Xfinity Series regular get the promotion? We've talked about, you know, other Cup Series drivers moving into the 48 car, but how much of a chance do you think that we could see somebody from the Xfinity Series elevated to that car? Wow, wow. If the, if there's a driver to do it, it's not a Chevy driver, so he would have to uh, Hendrick Motorsports would have to poke another driver. I mean, I just I don't think that that Noah Gregson is ready. We'll see how the rest of this year plays out. He's obviously got the win this year and been a little bit more uh mature as far as what we've seen, although he was pulled into the NASCAR hauler. Um but I also think he is one that really could use to stay in the Xfinity Series for another year or two, um, even if he wins a couple races this year. So, and even off the top of my head, I know we, we, we saw a couple others, Austin Sendrick, Chase Briscoe, to name a couple of Ford drivers that may not have room at Ford, Ford camps. Um, they're in their second, third year, and again, aren't quite as dominant as what we've seen the big three that came up. So, uh, I, don't, I don't see anybody really outstanding. Um, we'll see as the year plays out. But my biggest thing would be, and we know these other other uh, manufacturers do have that problem of they've got more driver or more yeah more drivers than they do cars. So it's possible we could see one of those from that camp. You know, JGR especially Brandon Jones, just to throw one out there. Um, this will be a big breakout year for him, depending on how he does the rest of the season. So. The other one, I, man, i got to talk to Mike. I want to change my bet. The other one I say might go to the 48 would be Matt DiBenedetto, but I think if he does good, Wood Brothers locks him up for a year or two. Yeah, I think that's pretty <laughs> safe in the 21, but here's the here's – the, you mentioned Sindrick. Well, if Brad Kay goes to the 48, guess who goes to the two car? Probably Austin Sindrick. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, and, but I do have to agree. I don't think Noah Gregson's going to be the guy to move up into that number 48. It's far too soon uh, for him to be doing that. And I don't think he's shown us just yet uh, that he could really take full advantage of that opportunity. Uh, he, someday maybe he will, but right now uh, is not that time for that. And at this point, uh, I don't think he really leaves us any other conclusion with that. So maybe as the season progresses, we might change our mind on that point. But at this point, I think it is what it is. Um, so I, I guess that this, we just have to wait and see what does happen. And, and I'm sure Rick Hendrick is taking a lot of things into consideration uh, when he considers uh, who he's going to put in that number 48 car. Uh, De Benedetto would be a really popular choice, I think. Uh, and uh, I, I know he's gotten a lot of support from drivers as he continues to develop his career. Uh, he's made a really – he's taken advantage of the opportunity in that number 21 car for Woods Brothers. Uh, again, I don't know what that contract is, uh, if it's locked up for a few years or just one year. But, uh, God, I can't wait to see who it is. 
at this point. It's going to be somebody. We know that. Okay. Anything else we need to discuss? Go ahead, I was trying to think if when I... I was trying to think if I when I went to Buck Baker, Buck Baker's Racing School in Atlanta if I left my card there for the forty eight. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, Jay. <laughs> Only you would know that. Oh, oh wait, no, mom took it away. Too. Mom, mom <laughs> took it away from me. That's right. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, I think. Um, I think uh, it's going to be interesting, uh, and you never know. We've talked about the Huseman Cup. Huseman to the 48 could be a campaign we could get behind, Jay. Well, you know, (laughs) we've had issues with that with the series I've worked with. If you have a driver that's involved with running the series, yeah, it gets a little sketchy. I know Tony Stewart had that with his sprint car series, too. So, yeah, that's a real... Real sketchy line to be walking there. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So it sounds like we're uh, about done here for tonight. So let's go ahead and do our roundtable. Andy, let's start with you. Yeah, for me on Twitter, uh, ALFD14, and um, my weekly Hot Topic stuff comes out typically early part of the week. So it should have something uh, Monday, Tuesday time frame. And, uh, uh, looking forward to the racing, you know, looking forward to focusing on that this weekend and uh, seeing how things go. And hopefully, uh, you know, we've got a lot of cool things to talk about come Monday show. All right. And uh, Jay. Well, uh, obviously my plans for the weekend of uh, Five Flag Speedway has changed, so <laughs> you just have to follow me at Michael Hoosman on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. I know i still got a couple of dirt track options in the area. Unfortunately, one of them won't be Tony Stewart. Uh, he was supposed to be here at North Alabama Speedway a couple hours north for uh, with the sprint cars, but they have already canceled due to weather. And I know we talked about that, even Atlanta having that issue looming. So uh, maybe in front of the TV, which case then I will be on the uh, chat room. Okay. Uh, And unfortunately, I will not be around for the uh, truck race or the Xfinity Series race uh, at Banford Racing. If uh, you guys are available Uh, I'm hoping to be able to get that news in time that I can put together a separate chat room, a race day chat room. But if not, uh, just to alert fans where they can go for that fan for racing chat if I don't get a separate chat room set up. If you're looking at the website, there is a small icon on the lower right uh, that has a little dot, 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 dot uh, inside a uh, uh, conversation uh, icon. And that is a chat room. Uh, and uh, Jay, if you or Andy, if you guys are around, and or Mike, and you want to chat during the race, and I don't have a separate chat room up, you can start a chat there. But if you look straight up from there on the right side top, there is also a fan for racing chat. Let's talk NASCAR uh, link that has a separate chat room as well. I believe it's the same chat room as the icon but it's it's a fuller view, view of it. So if you can use either one of those buttons to uh, create a chat for the race day chat. Uh, I should be around on Sunday 
So that I think uh, I, I will definitely have a separate chat room for, uh, but this is in case I don't get a separate chat room up uh, at the end of the day uh, for those other two races, the truck race and the Xfinity Series race. Okay, uh, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere, uh, and uh, we will continue to get articles up uh, throughout the weekend, uh, so we hope you'll uh, check that out. Andy, your info. Oh yeah, um, for me, Twitter uh, alasty14, and uh, yeah, looking uh, for a hot topics article to come out early part of the week. Okay, I forgot you did say that already, didn't you? <laughs> That's okay. Okay, uh, second uh, time, just in case we weren't listening the first time, so <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so uh, really have a blast with you guys every Thursday night, uh, every Monday night uh, when we do our Hot Topic Sound Off at 10 p.m. And, Jay, when we do our uh, preview show here on Thursday night. So uh, definitely looking forward to getting back to it again next week. Uh, We will be back on Monday night as well with Sasa Gala for the review of the weekend of racing. Uh, and uh, we'll look forward to doing that as well starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Again, we we didn't have uh, Brett Holmes on earlier tonight, uh, but uh, we will look to reschedule him for the next Five Flags Speedway event. And also, on Monday night's show, if you have not listened to it, we do have Bill McAnally from Bill McAnally Racing on that show. Uh, he gives a great overview of the drivers that are racing with his organization this year. And then also we had uh, Michael Mulder. He is a tire specialist at Bill McAnally Racing. And uh, I really think uh, that was a good interview as well. He gave us a lot of insight as to what a tire specialist does. And uh, we had a really nice conversation with him. So check that out for sure. Okay, with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, uh, and uh, we'll go ahead and sign off here And with a great big thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in, and a shout-out to Mike O, who participates uh, on a regular basis in our Fan for Racing chat room during our live radio broadcast. Thanks for all uh, that you're doing and all of our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you. Take care, guys. Have, Have a good night. Talk to you Monday. Good night.
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.